Let me pray. Lord, you are indeed God. You are full of majesty and power. Lord, we want to be men and women who know you better, who dwell in you more, who are overwhelmed by how great and majestic you are. Lord, we want to be people who fall at your feet with every part of our lives, our words, our deeds, our thoughts, that we would honour you in those things. Lord, we praise and thank you for the scriptures, for the way that you continue to teach us through them, for the way that you uh, challenge us and encourage us and spur us on in our faith. Uh, Lord, I plead with you tonight, would you do a mighty work by your spirit and through your word, that your word would not leave here empty. And we ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Please grab a seat. If you are here tonight for the first time, you come on a great night. We're starting a new series on the book of James. Um, and I've got the privilege of preaching most of that over the coming weeks. It's on page 854 uh, in your Bibles that you were given when you came in. Page 854. We've just sung in that last song, I am restored. I am restored, I am redeemed, I am set free. And that's some of the wonderful truths about being a Christian, isn't it? You can wake up tomorrow, if you're a follower in Jesus Christ, if you put your trust in Jesus, you can wake up tomorrow morning and you can say those words, I'm a child of God, I'm forgiven, I'm restored, I'm redeemed, I'm set free. And it's beautiful. And it is wonderful. And it is wonderful. And yet the reality is, for, for many of us, life is still full of disappointments. There's just the disappointments of finance insecurity, of health problems, of broken relationships, of loneliness, of stress, of unkind words. The list is endless. Uh, many a Christian I know have watched loved ones die and in the midst of that, they're crying out, I'm hurting here, God, and why are you doing this? Uh, and many a Christian that I know have suffered ill health or been diagnosed with cancer or just failed exams or uh, struggled with singleness or yet another month goes by and you're childless and there's full of pain, there's full of hurt, and you're just crying out, why God and what are you doing? Now, do you spot the tension? Spot the tension. You are a child of God. It's beautiful. It is wonderful. You're restored and you're redeemed. And yet, life is full of disappointments. Let me give you another tension in life. When you wake up tomorrow morning, you will hear a million different voices through different mediums telling you what to do and how to live. You'll open a newspaper, you'll surf the net, uh, you'll listen to the radio, you'll watch television, you'll talk with friends. And a lot of the, the advice is good advice. But a lot of the advice is very worldly and very anti-God. And the question for you, the tension for you is, are you going to listen to the world or listen to the word of God? And that's especially true when, when times are tough, isn't it? When life is tough, when life sucks, when you're full of disappointments, 
the, the advice of the world is very tempting because it promises you a solution and it promises you happiness and it's very tempting to ignore what the word says and listen to the world and they're the two tensions that you grapple with and that's really the book of James in a nutshell I think the key verse for James is this it's on, on the screen chapter 4 verse 4 anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God if in life, in the good times and in the bad times, you choose to, to listen to the world, or what I call flirt with danger, uh, the world is seductive, the world is attractive, if you choose to side with that, then you will drift and you will stagnate and you'll become cynical about Jesus, you'll become cynical about the gospel and eventually you'll become an enemy of God. And James is saying, it is no good knowing the word of God. What's the point of sitting here in church and listening to the word and listening to sermons and writing notes on our new funky sermon notepads? What's the point of that if you, you file away your notes but when push comes to shove, when the tough times come, you don't pick up the word, you listen to the world. The world will seduce you. And you've got a choice, friend of the world or a friend of God. And really James is saying, stop pretending. Our churches are full of Christians who are pretending. They look the part, they sing the songs, they know the Bibles, but they like to, have a, to hedge their bets, a foot in the world and a foot in the word. Uh, just flick over to, to how the letter ends, chapter 5, verse 19. And my brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his way will save him from death and cover over a multitude of sins. And that's why I'm preaching this book. Because I think that's where we're at as a church. People are drifting. Lots of knowledge, lots of information, but not a lot of transformation. And we're happily follow Jesus when life is sweet, but when the trials comes, we're like castles built out of sand. We're just swept away. And if you don't believe me, I did a bit of research. About half the people in this building tonight were not here two years ago. And half the people in the building tonight, in the, in the building two years ago, are not here tonight. And many of those people who have left this church have left for good reasons and they've gone to other churches and that is fantastic. But many of those people have left this church and they're going to no church because they've drifted and they've wandered. And why? Because they've listened to the world and they've gone the way of the world and they've walked away from God. And that's why we're looking at James. It's a dangerous book because we're flirting with the world. It says, stop playing games with God. Let me give you some background. It's written in about 46 AD. It's one of the earliest letters in the Bible. Written by a guy called James. There's, there's about five James in the New Testament. Uh, I'm pretty convinced this is James, the brother of Jesus. The same biological mother as Jesus. Same womb as Jesus. Uh, and that's why verse 1 is so shocking. Chapter 1, verse 1, James, uh, a servant of God. He doesn't say, I'm James, a biological brother. He doesn't sort of play the ace card. I'm someone important. He says, no, I'm a servant. I'm just here to preach Christ and make sure you walk closely with Christ. He writes to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, to Christians who are away from their homeland and living in the world. Uh, and this book has such a checkered history 
Uh, people don't like James because it's light on doctrine, so they say. Not, mention of, not much mention of Jesus or the cross or the end times or even God himself. Because that's because these people who he's writing to, they know their doctrine. Uh, they've got doctrine blaring out of their iPhones. They know their doctrine, they're just not doing it and just not living it. It's a very practical, punchy, direct, clear letter. He loves them, they're brothers, they're beloved brothers, they're the brothers I love time and time again, but he's really warning them. He's warning them, don't flirt with the world. Because you see, I know many of us here have gone through real trials, but you could wake up tomorrow morning and you could be facing the biggest trial you've ever faced in your life and it's crunch time. And the way you handle that trial means you'll either sink as a Christian or you will flourish and you will swim. You'll either become very bitter or you become a much better Christian. And I pray that as this series is preached, you will be encouraged and provoked and shocked and transformed. But most of all, you'll mature and you'll love Jesus more. So let me pray. And then we're going to hear James 1, verses 1 to 18. Uh, Lord, we want you to do a powerful work in us. And we want you to pick us up from where we are and to move us forward in Christ. Lord, teach us, rebuke us, correct us, shock us, provoke us, do whatever work you need to do in us. As your word is preached now, I pray, Spirit of God, that you would work powerfully in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We're going to listen to James 1, verses 1 to 18. Uh, Bible reading tonight comes from James, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. Uh, It's found on page 854 of the Bibles. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position, because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Everyone good, every good and perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits for all of all He created. So, what are you going to do uh, when that trial comes? How are you going to respond to the disappointments that God brings into your life? Uh, two points tonight. The first one is much longer than the second. Just, just to warn you. In the midst of your trials, I'm pleading with you to endure, to mature. Endure through the trials to mature in your faith. Uh, Look at verse 2 with me. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, if you face trials. He doesn't say that. He says, whenever you face trials. Because the assumption is that all Christians will face trials. There'll be things that happen in life, stuff that difficult to understand, events that knock the wind out of us. It's just called life in this world. Uh, James is writing to Christians who are undergoing trials of poverty uh, and persecution. Uh, but please don't look at this, this book and say, well, you know, that, that's a great verse for, for the, the, the poor Christians or the persecuted Christians in Vietnam or in Cambodia. They, they need to hear this. No, no, you need to hear this and I need to hear this because we will face trials. Uh, verse 1, verse 2 again. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of, of many kinds, just the trials of life, sickness, loneliness, gossip, disappointments, bereavements, being exploited, being slandered, they're just situations that we find ourselves in. Let me say, anything that happens to anyone can happen to any Christian. Anything that happens to anyone can happen to any Christian. Just because we're in Christ doesn't mean we're immune from cancer or immune from divorce or immune from loneliness or failure, whatever it is. And my guess is there are people here tonight and it's weighing heavily upon you. Your trial is weighing heavily upon you. How are you going to respond? Here's the shock. Four words that will shock you or should shock you. The first four words of verse 2. Consider it pure joy. Don't smile at me. Consider it pure joy. It's not the only response that's called for. He's, not, he's saying uh, amongst the tears, amongst the fears, amongst the frustration and the confusion and the crying out, there's got to be this deep-seated, deep-rooted trust and security and joy in your Lord Jesus Christ. Because if you're like me, you know, on my knee-jerk reaction to say, here's my trial, here's my problem, how can I solve it? How can I be happy again? And James says, no, no, that's not the right response. The right response is to evaluate or count it or to evaluate, consider it, consider it, whatever the trial is, pure joy. Let me be clear, he's not saying be a masochist. He's not saying, you know, you're suffering, say, come on, God, bring it on, bring on more suffering. He's not saying that. He's not saying, uh, pretend it's not happening, black is white. In the midst of it, just put on a smiley face and pretend to be joyful. He is saying, in the midst of your trial, whatever, whatever other emotions you are feeling, there's got to be a deep-seated joy as you bring God into the equation and God into the picture. Uh, C.S. Lewis was a man who discovered this. Great Christian author. Uh, he wrote a book, and he entitled the book, 
surprised by joy. Now, when did he write that? He didn't write that book when he was going through the the highs of life. He wrote that book just after his wife died. His beloved wife, he watched die, and he wrote the book Surprised by Joy. Because in those times, when he watched her die, he discovered deeper joy in Christ. And it's the same story for countless other people I've met. I could list the people where their trials took them away from Jesus. You know, I used to believe, but then I was disappointed, so I left the church. I used to believe, but I was made unemployed, and I left the church. But equally, I meet people, and it's through the trials that their faith is strengthened and refined, and they're matured because of the trials, and they find joy in the trials. Now, how can you find joy in your trials? The answer is in verse 3. Because... Because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. James says, you know this. You might not be able to answer the why me question, but you can be confident in the midst of your trials, God is at work. What's he doing? Verse 3, he's testing your faith, or literally he's refining your faith. That word testing is the word used for refining a precious metal. It's like when you, you put gold, a precious gold, into a blazing furnace. You heat it up, and you heat it up, you melt the metal. Why would you bother doing that? Because as you heat it up, all the rubbish, all the muck, all the impurities floats to the top, and you scrape off the muck, and you're left with something much more precious and much more valuable. And James is saying, that's what God does to your faith. He takes you through the trials to refine you. He purifies you, he gets rid of impatience, he gets rid of your greed, he gets rid of your self-sufficiency. And let me say, if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you haven't turned to Christ, what I've just said will, will sound absolute nonsense. Because your goal in life is to be happy and to be successful. And to be fulfilled. And let me say, if you're here tonight as a Christian, and I ask you what's your goal in life, if you're sitting there saying, I want to be happy, I want to be successful, I want to be wealthy, I want to be fulfilled, this will make absolutely no sense of all. But if you're sitting there saying, my goal in life is verse 4, I want to be mature, I want to be complete, I want to lack nothing in Christ, then this will make perfect sense to you. Because the way that God matures us and grows us and gives us a deeper love for Jesus is not, not through paperback books from Kurong, but through pain and through suffering and through trials. And the word he uses in verse 4 for perseverance is literally a, a spiritual workout word. It's building strong spiritual muscles. Uh, let me give you an example to try and illustrate it. I was in China a few years ago, uh, and I consider myself a pretty, pretty fit guy, and me and, me and my mate were going to conquer this two-day walk up a mountain. It was just hundreds and thousands of steps up this mountain in China, and we, we set out one morning, you know, pretty strong, just a small backpack to climb this massive mountain, and we thought we were strong, and a bizarre thing happened that one by one, these little Chinese men just raced past us. And then these Chinese women raced past us. Not just with a little backpack, but on their back they were carrying massive slabs of concrete and massive jars of water up to the village at the top of the mountain. 
How could they do that? They look so weak. They look so inferior to, to me. How can they do that? I'll tell you how they did it. They endured days and days of pain and agony. The first day they carried that slab, it hurt. It hurt like heck. But they got stronger and stronger and stronger through it. And that's what James is saying. Through your trials, you can either sink or you'll be strengthened through it. Don't buckle under the weight. You know, when someone you love walks away from you, yes, the burden's heavy, but if you don't buckle, if you endure, you'll have a stronger love for Jesus at the end of it. When you're sick, when you're suffering, don't walk away. Endure and persevere, because you know that God is maturing you. I meet lots of Christians. It's fascinating. Some have been Christians for years, and yet they've never really matured or grown. They're bearing no real fruits of the Spirit. As I chat to them, a, a common theme is this, that life's just been easy. Life's been so easy for them. They've just, they've just plodded along in their Christian life. And yet I meet other Christians and their maturity just shines through and their godliness flourishes and oozes out of them. And as I chat to them, I hear the same and same story. You know, It was the death of my son that brought me much closer to Jesus. It was when I lost my job that actually when everything was stripped away from me that God taught me real humility. It was when that divorce happened and I felt worthless, but actually I rejoiced in my relationship with Jesus. Maturity does not come with age. It comes through trials and through suffering. Speaking very personally, the three things in my life I think I've grown most were all the tough times. Ten years ago I walked out of Bible college, walked into a great job in ministry, and I had a bishop in London who hated my guts. Didn't like what I preached, didn't like the Bible, didn't like Jesus very much, and made my life a misery. And what was God doing there? He was refining me, saying, Paul, it's not about you, not about you being successful. I'm just calling you to be faithful in the midst of opposition, yes. I think five, six, seven years ago, uh, marriage wasn't idle for me. Longed to get married. And yet God didn't bring along the wife that I longed for. What was God doing? Refining me. And what he's done to me is show me the joys of being single and the joys of being single in ministry and the contentment I can have in Christ. Or just a simple thing like a good friend who really betrayed me. What was God doing? Teaching me forgiveness. Teaching me unconditional love. That doesn't come through the paperbacks. It comes through the pain. Refining me through suffering. Don't mishear me. James isn't saying... Christian plus trials equals mature Christian. There's no guarantee you are mature unless you respond rightly. What's the right response? It's there in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind, and that man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. He's saying, in the midst of your trials, uh, the strong thing to do is to get onto your knees and pray. Not a sign of weakness, it's a sign of strength. God longs for us to ask, God expects us to ask, because he's a generous God and a good God. In your trials, you need wisdom. So get on your knees and ask. Uh, Wisdom is not just knowing what the Bible says. Wisdom is knowing 
how the Bible applies to that circumstance. Get an easy to say, God, why have you brought me unemployment? What is it you want to, me to learn through this and be refined through this? God, why am I so lonely? What are you teaching me through this? How are you refining me through this? I think our problem is that either we don't ask, or we like the people that James talks about. When we ask, we're double-minded. Verse 8, a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Let me give an example. You're hurting, you're in pain, and so you take time on your knees in prayer. And you pray something like this, God, I know you love me, I know you're good, Show me what you're doing to me through this. In the back of your mind you're going, I might just check the internet and see what that says about this problem. God, I I know that you want to, to, to refine me and test me, so please show me. But that friend of mine who's not a Christian, but he's got pretty good advice, I'll just chat to him as well. God, I need your help here, please show me. But actually God, are you really powerful enough to to show me? Are you really good? I'm beginning to doubt it. Do you see what I'm saying? You pray, but you're a double-minded person. One foot in the word and one foot in the world. Let's see what the world says, let's see what the word says, and whatever suits me best, I'll just take that, thank you. And James is pretty blunt and says, that man will receive nothing from God, you won't get the wisdom that you long for. I don't know what trials you're going through but you must learn to endure them and to ask God for maturing you through it. The example that James gives in verse 9 and 10 is just of poverty and wealth. Uh, the brother in humble circumstances is the poor person, and he's saying, you may have no money, but you are rich in Christ. Understand that. Or verse 10, you, you may have lots of money, but your money will pass away uh, like a wildflower. It's just gone here one day, gone the next. We've seen that in the last few months, haven't we? don't find your security in your riches, take pride in your low position as a servant of Jesus Christ. Whatever it is, whatever you're going through, endure it. Why? Because verse 12, blessed is a man, not happy, but blessed, confident of God's goodness, confident of God's favour. Blessed is the man who does what? Perseveres, endures the trial. Because when he stood the test, He'll receive the crown of life uh, that God has promised to those who love him. That great wreath, that great, great statement, well done, good and faithful servant. I long for that. But to get there, God's got to do a good work in me. And to do that, he might bring trials. He will bring trials. My job? Consider it pure joy. Very briefly tonight, very briefly, in the midst of temptation, been the sin. In the midst of your temptation, been the sin. Look at verse 13. Uh, When tempted, uh, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. And then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Again, not if, but when tempted. The struggles are real. There's a difference between trials and temptations. The trials are kind of the, the external 
circumstances that God brings into your life. The temptations is the inner struggle and the inner battle and the inner, inner struggle for godliness in the midst of your trials. And he's saying, in the midst of your trials, how dare you say that God is tempting you? Yes, God has brought this trial into your life, but you are the one who has a choice to make. Either you can handle that trial in a godly way, or you can give in to your temptations. It's like, you know, when someone you love dies, you may be tempted to, to question God's love. When you're maybe done, you're tempted to question God's providence. Uh, when you're ostracised by a friend or you're slandered, you're, you're tempted to retaliate and get jealous or get bitter or slander back or gossip back. They're the inner temptations. And you've got a choice to make. You've got a choice to make. Either you can take the bait and give in to your temptations or you can look at your temptations and say, no, no, I'm going to bin that sin and I follow God and trust God. The word that he uses for enticing down in verse uh, 14 is the word for a bait when you go fishing. You ever been fishing? I've done it a few times, it's really dull. Uh, but I know some people love fishing. But when you go fishing, you don't just chuck out a line with nothing on it. You put a bait on the end of the line. Why? Why bother with the bait? What's the point of the bait? It's to entice the fish, isn't it? Without the bait, the fish don't come. Uh, but the fish swim along in the water and they, they smell the bait. Oh, that smells nice. And sniff around a bit and then they take a bite of the bait and taste nice. And then they're trapped. And then they're pulled out of the water. And then they die. No bait. They stay alive. Give in to the bait. Take the bait. And they're dead. And James is saying, that's life. The way that you handle your trials, you either give in to the temptations and be enticed by the temptations. If you take the bait, then you will sin. Verse 15, the pattern is there. Desires conceived give birth to sin. When sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. And I've seen it time and time and time again. The Christian who is lonely. That's the trial, just loneliness. And the temptation is to find your intimacy and your security in anybody and anything. And you just squeeze out God and squeeze out Jesus. You take the bait and you're gone. You'd rather have physical intimacy than intimacy with God. Or, or the, the trial is slander. People are gossiping about you and slandering. And the temptation is to retaliate and to start to slander them back. And I've watched it, and it's ugly, because you become consumed with gossip, you consume with slander, and it's got you, and you sin, it leads to death. And James is saying, this is urgent. Bin the sin, otherwise you'll be dragged away. How do you do that? It's a simple answer, it's there in verse 16 and 17, don't be deceived, just keep your eyes fixed on God, who is good, he gives you good gifts, he is unchanging, like he's not doesn't change like the shifting shadows. But more than that, what has God given us? Verse eighteen. He chose to give us birth, new birth in Christ, through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits for all he created. He's saying, You're a child of God. 
I'm restored, I'm redeemed, I have new birth. I'm supposed to be here displaying the glory of Jesus. Don't let me sin. Don't let me be enticed. You may wake up tomorrow and you may face the biggest struggle you've ever faced in your life. Or that may happen next year or in ten years' time. And my prayer is that the Spirit would take the word tonight and implant it so deeply in your heart that when that time comes, you will know what to do. You'll endure. Why? Because you want to mature in Christ. And when the inner voices come, go on, just endure life. God won't mind. You'll say no, and you'll bin the sin. Why? Because you'll say, I'm a child of God. I want to be complete. I want to be perfect in Christ. Let me pray. God, you are so very good to us. Thank you for our birth in Christ. Thank you for all the good things you give us. And I want to thank you tonight, Father, for all the, all the tough things that you give us, all the trials that you bring into our lives. Thank you that you love us enough to refine us through them. Thank you that you want us to be mature and complete in Christ. Uh, thank you, Father, for those trials. Please would you yeah, help us to endure them and to persevere through them. Help us to pray and to ask single-mindedly for the wisdom that we need. And Lord, forgive us for times when we give in to our temptations. Help us not to be enticed by the way that the world might handle those trials. But help us to trust you to love you, to honour you and to obey you. And I ask that for Jesus' sake. Amen.